Thank you, Jesus, for your ministry to us in worship this morning. And, and Lord, I just pray that as we spend a little bit of time in your word, that you will just take over and that you'll organize this, and that you will reveal your message in this for each of our hearts this morning. Lord, we, what I say isn't important. What your spirit does is what's important. So speak to us, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Um, so, yeah, we, we spent pretty much all this week trying to recover from being in Scotland and Ireland for two weeks. Um, and really what we discovered is that after being in Scotland and Ireland for two weeks, we, we just want to go back there. Um, we'd like for all of you to come with us if you want to, because um, they have those buses, you know, those double-decker buses that drive you around places. There'd be plenty of room for everybody. <clears throat> but, man, <clears throat> this week one of the things that we sp spent some time doing is starting to sort through all of our pictures. Uh, and even after Peggy went through all of hers a couple of times, she still, and sorting out all the ones that you know, are obviously not keepers, she still has like a thousand pictures. And I even started working on mine, and I know I have over four, 500. So I'm just letting you know that for the next several years, <laughs> we have plenty of pictures to work into sermons. <laughs> so you have... So eventually you'll get to see them all. It'll just take a while. So, but we're going to start with this one. So, so surely somebody knows what this is. It is a throne. Well, no, it's actually empty. If you get here close enough, you can see that it's, there's, I don't know what that is, like a little footrest or something probably under there. Um, I'll give you a hint. This throne is in uh, Dublin Castle in Ireland. Um, th and this, so here's another hint. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just tell it to you because Laura will, I'll give you enough hints and Laura will eventually get it, but um, um, this is the throne chair of King George IV. And it was especially built. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I recognize that now. <clears throat> this is George IV. It was built for his visits to Dublin Castle in Ireland. Uh, yes, this, you can't really, I couldn't get a, because it's all roped off, so I couldn't get somebody to go and stand next to it, but this is a really, this is a really huge wide throne because George IV uh, weighed between 300 and three. 350 and 390 pounds when he died. Um, they, uh, uh, his coffin was almost square um, because he was, for, he, for that day, he was really tall. Um, but he was still so like this. I mean, the newspaper cartoons of him, especially towards the end of his life, were not flattering at all because he was a buffoon. Uh, anyhow, and everybody hated him. Um, he was, incidentally, he was the son of George III, who was famous for what? <laughs> Among other things, hey, George III was, was the king of England during the Revolutionary War. 
uh, and was certifiably crazy. By the end of his reign, he was just one step from being locked up because his brains, his mind was just gone. Yes, they frequently did lock him up and tried to, they tried to keep him from signing stuff. Uh, but then his son was almost as bad. Uh, when he died, they had to build a special iron framework to help support the weight of his coffin when he was lying in state because it would have crushed anything. And even when they were trying to move his body down from his royal bed chamber down a staircase, they, and they had some kind of contraption they were carrying him in, they reinforced the staircase with extra flying, they buttressed it with extra big fly, uh, um, timber because they were afraid that they were going to lose control of the body and, and, and drop him and he was going to smash through the staircase. Um, yeah, he had a hoist to lift him in and out of his bathtub. Uh, he made fat fashionable, though, um, and, and a lot of people decided it was okay if the, 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 if the king lived this kind of a perf- out-of-control life. They would sort of copy him. Uh, and according to the Duke of Wellington, the, he, w- he and his brothers were the damnedest millstones about the neck of any government that may be imagined. Um, so that's George IV. Um, and... I only bring this up because I wanted to show you that picture, um, but also to talk a little bit about kings today, to talk about rulers, talk in general about... I am trying really hard to get back to the book of Acts um, because we, ever since like the middle of July, we've, we've been doing other stuff. Um, but I've been, I've been talking about other things because they were really important, but I've also been trying to get past this one passage at the end of Acts chapter 12 because it's just weird. And it's, there's a message in it, but it's just, it's just one of those passages. Uh, but first of all, let's just remind ourselves of the whole message of the book of Acts. Um, just one more time, I want you to hear this. When, in Acts 1 chapter 8, when Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses basically everywhere you go Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria the whole world when the Holy Spirit comes upon you the book of Acts is all about what happens when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you but we've kind of retranslated it to this the Holy Spirit will give you the ability to tell what you've experienced everywhere you go with miraculous results your job, our job as believers is to just tell people our stories about Jesus about our personal experience with Jesus and what he's meant to us everywhere we go. And then the Holy Spirit will get involved with that and he will touch people's hearts. It's not our job to save the world. It's only our job to tell the world our story about Jesus. And so we get to this place in Acts chapter 12 um, that where the church is starting to grow so fast that it finally attracts the attention of another king. Uh, this king is called Herod Agrippa. And I'm just, I'm not going to go through everything. When you read about King Herod uh, in the New Testament, depending on what time you are in history, it could be like five different kings that were all called Herod. And they were sort of related to each other. Herod the Great was like 
the great, the grandfather or the great grandfather, and he had some kids, and they had some kids, and they were some cousins, and they all get kind of mixed up, uh, and they were none of them particularly nice people, but there's just this thing happening um, that we want to talk about. Last time we were in the Book of Acts, King Herod Agrippa had decided he was finally going to take care of of this Christian thing once and for all. And remember, he had Peter arrested and thrown in jail. And then this angel came and unlocked the gates and Peter thought he was dreaming. Uh, And the angel led him out um, to prison and, and then left him in the middle of the streets, at which point Peter said, he's pinching himself and he's looking all around and saying to himself, Um, I guess it's not a dream. I guess this really happened. Uh, All the bars are closed. I guess I'll just go home and go home. And he he went home and, of course, he knocked on the door and they didn't believe it was him either. You you can't be Peter because you're in jail. No, I'm not. I'm just... Open the door. This is me. Uh, No, this is a trick. No, I didn't... Open the door. I just... Finally, they let him in. So, and, and that encouraged everybody, and that was really cool. Um, and that's, that took, takes the whole, almost the whole part of, of Acts chapter 12, except for these few little verses hanging over at the end. Um, so I've already told you that sermon. Skip that. Now, here's, this, here's what happens next. I'm just going to read it to you. Oh, you can read along. We'll all, be in, we'll all read it together. Now, Herod was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. That's Lebanon. If you're talking, what, where's Tyre and Sidon? It's modern-day Lebanon. And, and King Herod, what, because of some shenanigans and some shady dealings that he did with uh, a series of, of Roman uh, emperors, uh, got himself promoted. He went from being in jail, arrested by a previous emperor, to being in control of all Judea and Galilee and everything up to Turkey. And that included Tyre and Sidon. Uh, and he got mad at the people of Tyre and Sidon and were th- he was threatening to cut off all their trade routes so that they couldn't get any food or any commerce coming in. He was just going to shut them down because they had ticked him off. Uh, and so uh, the Chamber of Commerce from Tyre and Sidon came to see him because uh, they had won over... Uh, his, basically his right-hand man, his chamberlain, a guy named Blastus. And they were begging for peace because their country was fed by the king's country. And so on the day of the appointment, he, you know, they, they come to the palace and he, he sets up this royal uh, viewing stand out in the courtyard and people are gathering around. And on the appointed day, having put on his royal apparel, he took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them, trying, he was reading the riot act. This was before the days of tweeting. He would have, under normal circumstances, probably just tweeted this message out to them, but instead, he just launched into this tirade, uh, and the people kept crying out, the voice of a God and not a man, the voice of a God and not a man, and immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and died. (laughs) Um, the end of Herod Agrippa and so I'm scratching my head trying to figure out how do you 
this doesn't really preach very well. Uh, I mean, I could just say, and from this we learned that if you don't give God the glory, you could possibly be eaten by worms and die. Um, I just think there's more to it than that. Uh, but here's a little backstory. Most of you have heard of, uh, of a, a Jewish general who went to work for the Romans uh, named Josephus. Have you heard of General Josephus? He wrote a history, actually a couple of histories of... Israel from about this time forward, uh, 50 or more years beyond that time. Because this, this event, we know when this event happened by, by secular sources. We know this happened sometime between 40 and 41 A.D. This, this actual event happened. And Josephus, not the worms part, uh, but Josephus writes about this meeting. And you see this part where it says, on the appointed day, Herod put on his royal apparel. What he put on was a cloak, royal garment, that was made out of spun silver. And so when he took his position on the rostrum and the bright noonday sun, he glowed. It, and so people actually absolutely did say he looks like a god he looks like a god this dude looks like a god have mercy on us king herod uh, you are our god we are and they started kind of worshiping him and he did die shortly afterwards nobody knows whether it was worms or what he had some kind of disease and he died uh, could have been a heat stroke from wearing this silver thing. Uh, anyhow, boom, boom, he's, he was dead. Um, and so he, he was maybe slightly nicer king than George IV. But the point is, <laughs> uh, one, king... Uh, King Herod figured out that the best way to preserve his reign was to really make nice with all the Jews because the Jews were like his constituency. So he started, he, he started doing nice things for Jews and one of the nice things that he did for Jews was start arresting Christians, including Peter. So but he let his power go to his head. King George IV incidentally let his power go to his head too. Um, and basically almost ruined, almost drove uh, Great Britain into bankruptcy. Um, from all the debts that he piled up and all the times the parliament had to just keep loaning him money out of the treasury to cover all of his debts. Because all he wanted to do was eat himself into a coma every day. Uh, so, so but here's the thing. Uh, when you give somebody a lot of power very often goes to their heads. And maybe they don't go around thinking that they're gods all the time, but they go around kind of acting like they're gods. Kind of acting like, get out of my way for I'll squish you like a bug. Get out of my way because I'm the boss and get out of the way because I have the power and get out of the way because uh, my word counts and you don't. I count and you don't. Um, 
Kings could, can, uh, can be either really good news or they can be really bad news. And for a lot of history, kings were either worshipped as gods or they treated their power as if it was the power that, that came from God. Uh, and now I want to go back to this story. Um, 1 Samuel chapter 8 takes us to a time in history where Israel did not have a king. Israel was ruled by a, a, a consecutive parade of judges, people who were godly and uh, who tried to listen to the voice of the Lord and tried to solve disputes and tried to lead the nation and tried to call people back to God. But there came a time all the elders of Israel gathered together and they came to Samuel, who was the last judge, at Ramah. And they said to him, Bold, you're old. And your sons don't walk in your ways. So we want a king. Appoint a king for us, the judges, like all the other nations. The Amalekites have a king. And the Jebusites have a king. And... All the other ites have kings. We want to have a king. We want to be like all the other countries. Samuel, go find us a king. We want a king. And it bugged Samuel. Uh, it, was, he, it upset him and he, when they said, give us a king to judge us because he was being replaced and he felt like he was doing a good job of serving the Lord. So Samuel went and talked to the Lord and the Lord said to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Like all the deeds which they have done since the day that I brought them up from Egypt, even to this day, they have forsaken me and they've served other gods and they're just doing the same thing to you. Such, I mean, that's a, that's, that knife is, it's like, just like twisting the knife. God said, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. They're rejecting my love. They're rejecting my, my protection. They're rejecting my grace. They're rejecting my mercy. They want to swap in some human, some dude, give him a lot of power, uh, put him in charge, and they want to trust him instead of me. I've got to, I need to read you something. I've Carlene stole my Bible and she put it down here. I couldn't squeeze the whole, all of 1 Samuel chapter 8. Yeah, because I can't read it otherwise. <laughs> first, I got you, I gave you about the first half of, of 1 Samuel up here on this slide. I want to go back to chapter 8. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to it also. I wonder what that was. That's no, not. Sorry about that, Mike. Still ticking. Um, this is. He um, says, "Now listen to their voice." But I, here's where I stopped. You know, I'm starting in verse nine of chapter eight. So now then, listen to their voice but solemnly warn them and tell them of what they are getting themselves into. And then, he's, uh, then Samuel goes back to the people and he says, okay, okay, God is going to let you have a king. But this is what's going to happen next. 
this will be the procedure of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and place them for himself in his chariots and among his horsemen, and they will run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and of fifties, and some to do his plowing and to reap his harvest and to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. And he will take your daughters for perfumers and cooks and bakers. And he will take the best of your fields and your vineyards and your olive groves and give them to his servants. And he will take a tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give to his officers and to his servants. And he will also take your male servants and your female servants and your best young men and your donkeys and use them for his work. And he will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his servants. And then you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. Nevertheless, the people refused to listen to him and said, No, we'd still rather have a king. And Samuel said, Good luck with that. Now, that was the end in history of God personally judging and leading his people. And this is the rise of human government. So it started out with kings. And then it moved into all sorts of other stuff. And even today, in what's still arguably the greatest democracy in the history of the world, we have a government that is basically coercive. I'm not going to get off onto a tangent here, but the government's job is to tell you what to think, tell you what to do, and take enough of your stuff to, to preserve its power, okay? Before that time, there was just God and his, and his spiritual law saying, uh, follow me and I will take care of you and I will meet your needs. They said, no, we want humans to rule over us and this is what you get when humans rule over you. Sometimes you have good kings, nice kings, and they do nice things for people. Sometimes you have uh, governments that of elected officials that are functional and godly and nice things happen. But it's complete crapshoot now. And sometimes you get crazy people and you have crazy kings like George IV or King Herod Agrippa. Um, you have people who get in power and abuse their power for the sake of their own agendas, even in democratically elected governments. Because, just saying... God's people were never intended to be ruled by a king. God's people were intended to be ruled by anybody? God. Intended to be ruled by God. And, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he puts his laws in our hearts, and we trust him, and we follow him, and we obey him. And, and as he works in our lives to help us become more like Jesus, we become a self-regulating um, system of believers who follow the Lord. Um, so history, ever since that point, has been just various forms of chaos because of either you got a kind of a good king. Now, you remember the history of Israel from that time? King after king after king, and some of them were bad because they forgot the law of the Lord, and some of them, occasionally, you have a good king who remembers the law of the Lord, but basically, it was just a train wreck from there on afterward. And uh, Samuel says, you're, go you're going to regret it. And I think maybe we all do. Um, 
But here's the cool part. Here's... This, this is where the, the notion of kings over God's people came from. But there's one more tiny little verse. After Herod died, one more tiny little verse that, that says this. I want you to look at this. Kings come and go, but the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. King Herod died. He was replaced by somebody else. King Herod was not good for Christians. When he died, he was replaced by somebody else who was not good for Christians. Um, there was a, an emperor that wasn't good for Christians. The next person who replaced him locally was not good for Christians. Um, but in spite of that, the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. And this word multi- multiplied means exponentially. By this time, the church is growing so fast everywhere. The church had gone, what's the word today? The church had gone viral. The church had gone viral. It was everywhere. You could go any place, anywhere in the civilized world by this time and find Christians. Um, 40, 41, 45 AD, there are Christians in Egypt. There are Christians in Rome. There are Christians in Macedonia. There are Christians in Turkey. There are Christians moving into Egypt. I mean, yeah, into Egypt and into India. They're just going everywhere. People are telling their stories. Remember Acts chapter 1, verse 8? People are telling their stories. The Holy Spirit is touching people's hearts. Lives are being changed. And it's spreading like wildfire everywhere in spite of a king who tried to kill them and in spite of a Roman empire uh, emperor who in just a few years is going to start lighting Christians on fire and hanging them up as uh, to light the city of Rome along the Appian Way. Uh, the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through the lives of believers changed the world in spite of the fact that kings almost always never a good thing for the kingdom of God unless that king is Jesus. Uh, You know, I would like... Oh, push this button. Philippians chapter 2. For this reason also, God highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Um, Jesus Christ is, in Greek, the word is kurios, Caesar. Jesus Christ is king. Jesus Christ is supreme. Jesus Christ is the king of kings. Jesus Christ is the high king over all kings. One of these days, Paul says, the world is going to be reordered. And Jesus will once more be the recognized, celebrated king overall. But in the meantime, here's what I feel like the Holy Spirit is telling me from this passage. Don't put your hope in rulers. The Bible says we're supposed to pray for kings and all who are authority. So hopefully we can live a peaceful life. Whether you agree with their politics or not, you've got to pray for them. Um, 
But don't put your faith in elected officials. Don't put your faith in kings. Don't put your faith uh, in... We have, we have to obey the laws of the land, but our king is always going to be Jesus. Our ruler is always going to be Jesus. The Lord of our hearts is going to always be Jesus. Our loyalty is to Jesus. Our hope is to Jesus. And I just want to, every time I, uh, I see Christians, uh, here's my sermon, you've heard me preach it a billion times. Whenever I see Christians putting too much hope in elected officials, I, I just feel like I have to warn people. Um, our hope isn't in elected officials. God uses people. Sometimes God lets crazy people like Herod Agrippa come to power um, for his own purposes. But your hope is not in the king because your king is Jesus. And the church, even in this tumultuous time, never looked, you, you never found though the people in the church saying, well, now that Agrippa's dead, maybe we'll get a king to power, who comes to power, who will speak for us and advocate for our cause and advocate for our principles. And the king will come and, and he'll be a better king and he'll restore righteousness to the land. And they, they didn't pay any attention to who was king at all. As we see from that passage, the church just kept right on growing. The power of God working in the hearts of his people as they told their stories changed the world more than any kings that rose up to preach the gospel and change the world. It was God's people, the invisible nobodies, who just kept telling stories and just kept trusting him. House to house, story to story, heart to heart. And they transform an entire culture. So that's by 300 years later, you just you couldn't go any place in the world that wasn't that didn't have churches thriving, in spite of the economy, in spite of the persecution, and in spite of whoever was king. Um, the biggest trap I think people can fall into is to think that our hope is in some sort of a political solution. Jesus is our only hope. Jesus has all, always only been our only hope. He can use elected officials. He can use kings. That's, that's fine. But Jesus is our king. And that's the story we're going to tell. Jesus Christ, king of kings, lord of lords, and the ways that he has changed our hearts, the way he can change everybody's heart. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, we've just, we've been worshiping you. We've been reminding each other of our stories. We've been surrendered to you. My assumption, my hunch is, Lord, most of the time we've been in here, we haven't been thinking about politics. We haven't been thinking about kings or presidents or parliaments or Congress. We've just been focusing on you because you are our hope and you are our help. Lord, as we, as we go about our lives and 
the whole world around us continues to go crazy. Deliver us from being tricked into thinking that there is any other solution except telling our stories and bringing people to the one true king who is always faithful. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.